All right. Thank you, Eden, for being here today, and Joanne with Eden. She is in the circle. Many of you already saw that. She rolled in with two suitcases this morning, and I told her, I hope that you leave with those empty today. Um, So thank you for your ministry, Joanne. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you today. We are in our second Sunday of Advent, and this is a season that I love. You might have noticed last week that the cloth on the cross changed from green to purple. Um, There's one other season during the year that we have purple. Any guesses as to which? To Lent, yeah. So Lent. So we have purple during Lent and Advent because it's a season of preparation. Lent, of course, preparing for Good Friday and Easter. And Advent, preparing for the birth of Christ, but also, as we talked about last week, the second coming of Christ. And we talked about the need um, to hold on to hope last week because it was a long wait, 700 years from the writing of Isaiah. We'll be digging into Isaiah again today. A long wait for that. Um, Last night at our um, Mosaic Life group, Drew was leading, and he was talking about Advent and asked us, how many of us are preparing for the second coming? We kind of looked down and, you know, we're fumbling around and we're like, not a lot of us have it on the front of our mind about preparing for the second coming. And that's that's this piece of Advent, too. We look back and we celebrate Christ's birth, but we also look ahead for his return. So today we talked about hope last week. This week is peace, the second theme of Advent. Now, we're going to dig into Isaiah, and the context for Isaiah is they are in exile. Um, They have been defeated. Um, They occupied this promised land. Um, They saw Assyria coming. They were nervous about that army. It was much bigger than their own, so they started to form alliances with other countries, um, trusting on their own wisdom and insight, trusting on the military strength of other countries instead of God, and ultimately they were defeated. But in the midst of this exile, this is what God wants to say to them. Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And then we'll skip down to verse 6 to see what this light is about. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. God, I pray today that your spirit will be at work in our midst, helping us to hear from you and understanding what you would like to say to us today. In your name, amen. So the context of this passage is Israel has been defeated, and 
the towns of Zebulun and Naphtali have been particularly hit heavy and hard by the Assyrian army. It was not turning out as planned. The people were thinking, what went wrong? We were in the promised land, and now we're not. It looks like all hope is lost. And so I was reflecting on this. You know, for them, this was not the direction they thought their people would be going, their country would be going. They look around and like, what happened? And I don't know if you've ever found yourself in that place in your career, in your family, in where you're living, if you think, what happened in my life? What is happening in this world? It's not difficult to see the many challenges globally that we're dealing with, the increase also in anxiety and depression, but climate change, things can seem hopeless. And so during Advent, when we look at these themes of hope, and peace, and joy, and love. Sometimes those things can be difficult to grab a hold of. They can seem so far away. And it feels like standing against the current to get to them. I don't know if you've ever crossed a river where the current has been strong. I was thinking about years ago, Cody and I and a good friend, Darren, were backpacking in Yosemite. And it was about a five-night trek, and we were on our way in, and we were about at the 10,000-foot mark, so there was actually snow, even though it was in August. And we had to cross a river, and it wasn't like up to our waist. It was about right here, but it was a bit slippery, and it wasn't life-threatening type of current, but it was if we fell in, we were going to be soaked, and all of our stuff was going to be soaked. And it was going to be really difficult to dry it out because it was cold out. And so as we're crossing, we realized we needed an anchor. We needed not just ourselves going through there, but we needed something that would steady us. And so we kind of had this chain of people walking across together to give ourselves some stability. And I think Advent is a reminder of the season that we don't do it alone, where we do so much better when we do it with other people, but also the need for an anchor. We talked about this verse last week, this Hebrew 6.19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, and of course, that anchor is Jesus Christ and what he has done and what he is doing See, the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali were in a place of darkness. They were the first ones really overrun and destroyed. And the people were humbled, but God wants to honor them. He wants to lift them up. He wants to rescue them. And how will he do that? Verse 6, through a child. The birth of a child, God's promise. Then they had a 700-year wait. I mean, I wonder what these words meant to the Israelites during the time of Isaiah. I'm sure they appreciated a promise. They appreciated a glimmer of hope. They appreciated that God had not forgotten them. But I wonder if the promise of their deliverance through a child was a little bit underwhelming. How was God going to work his plan through a child? Maybe we want a bigger army. Maybe we want God just to wipe out our enemies, but a child, how will that happen? And Isaiah tells the Israelites what this child will be like. He's going to be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. Descriptions of the attributes of this child. He's going to be an amazing counselor, our planner. He's going to be an expert in determining what the future would bring. 
He's going to be capable of making plans. He's an everlasting father. He's, he's a, like an officer of peace. He's a prince of shalom, this deep peace where things are right in the world. Things are right in your life. There's a flourishing there. But this amazing light is going to have very humble beginnings in a stable in Bethlehem, a baby, a baby. We know that this was going to be Jesus. They didn't yet know who this Messiah would be. And this is what we celebrate at Advent. We celebrate the birth of this baby. Now, Jesus, when he started his ministry, he didn't start it until he was about 30 years old. He is baptized. He goes into the wilderness where he fasts and prays, and then he starts his ministry. And what is the very first place he goes to in his ministry? We see in Matthew 4.13 that he went to Zebulun and Naphtali, And you have to know, I mean, the scholars would have been, oh my gosh, this goes all the way back 700 years when God spoke this word of truth into those towns that were wiped out. This is where Jesus begins his ministry. The beginning of this prophecy of starting to take shape, that overlap we talked about between heaven and earth is upon us. Not fully there yet. Two chapters later in Isaiah 11, we see how this is going to unfold even more so. The wolf will lie with the lamb, will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. This is another sign. It has not yet been accomplished. It will, once heaven and earth are completely overlapped, we're not quite there yet. So what does it mean that he was the prince of peace? What type of peace is Jesus going to bring into this world? Now, when I was growing up, I grew up in a very conflictual home, lots of fighting in my family. And I thought peace would just stop fighting, right? That's what, I, that's what I wanted. I'd go to bed sometimes and kind of cover my head with a pillow because I just didn't want to hear it anymore. And my hope was just an absence of conflict, which isn't quite peace, right? Not fighting is not having peace. Peace goes deeper than that. Peace involves reconciliation, working through conflict, living in harmony, And sometimes maybe we can experience that peace when we're on vacation. Many of us are able to travel again when we're doing things that we love to do when things are going well. Um, Yeah, peace is easy, but what about peace when things aren't going well? Many of you have kids doing school exams right now. How has that been going? (laughs) I've talked to some of you, and it's a difficult week when they have their exams? How about when you can't travel, when you're in conflict, when you're impacted by climate change, when things have went sideways, when you've lost a job? Can you have peace then? See, is God only sovereign when everything in our world is going right? Or is he sovereign when it seems like everything is falling apart? We talk about God being sovereign, and sometimes we'll say God is in control, but God being in control does not mean that God is controlling. He's not coming down determining how you live, right? 
He's not coming down and preventing you from doing something. He allows a lot of things that are not his will to happen in this world, whether it's abuse or injustice. The fact that we have Eden Ministries, right, speaks to the fact that things are not right in this world. And they're trying to step into those places and and to bring healing and wholeness. And so we receive that commission, but we don't struggle to see where things are not going well. God being sovereign means God's plan cannot be sidetracked. That plan of bringing heaven into earth, that plan of bringing wholeness, new creation, redemption cannot be sidetracked. He allows all of us to make our own choices in life for good or bad, but his purpose will not be thwarted. It will still happen. Matt in our men's group, Matt, is, yeah, Matt was leading us yesterday morning in our men's group looking at Ephesians 1 and Ephesians you know, 1, 11 talks about uh, Jesus bringing heaven back to earth. Like there'll be this unity of heaven and earth under the rulership of Christ. And we're not fully there yet because we can see the many challenges in the world around us. But that is the plan. We see this promise of this passage. We see in Luke 2, the angel showing up to the shepherds going, there's going to be a sign of this promise. Go to Bethlehem. See what is happening there. This plan is well underway. Jesus Christ, the birth of our Savior. Scripture tells us that God brings us a peace not as the world brings peace. So what is he going after there? How does he bring this peace? He doesn't bring Israel an army to defeat the Assyrians. He doesn't drive them out at this point. He says there's going to be a child. This child was born in the time of Roman rule. And there was this phrase, Pax Romana, this Roman peace that lasted for about 200 years. Is that the type of peace Christ was going to bring? Well, Roman peace was accomplished by wiping out all the other countries, right? All the other peoples. Their peace was if they were subservient to Rome, things might go okay. If you weren't subservient to Rome, we don't like you. Um, We put you in a coliseum, right? We make sport of you. Christians and others had that happen. There was a peace, but it came with incredible destruction and oppression and lack of freedom. So how is a child going to bring peace? How is a child going to defeat evil? That's a good question. See, we see Jesus came. He was the sign of the promise. And how does his ministry unfold? How is this Pax Christi, this peace of Christ, different from the peace of Rome? Because he says we can have peace now. What does that look like? We can have this peace now, and he's coming back to bring ultimate peace to this world. So what does it mean for us to have peace? At the end of the sermon, we're going to have a time for you to pray. And I'm going to invite you to pray for one or all four of these areas of peace. One, to have peace with God. Two, to have peace with yourself internally. How do you walk as a person of peace? 
You know, as I think back onto my family and I enter into family conflicts now, how do I do that differently? I can't do it on my own. And therapy is great to work through some of those issues, but also God's spirit bringing that presence of mind in the moment to be a peacemaker. How can we pray for peace with our neighbor, somebody in your family, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your school? What area right now would you like to see peace happen, and how do we bring peace to the city and our world? See, Isaiah's prophecy hasn't been fully realized yet, but we are on our way to it. And we know that peace will not be accomplished according to Rome's plan, not through force, not through coercion, not by might. See, Jesus comes and he, he does this subversive thing to bring peace. He doesn't lead his disciples to, to battle with swords, to use his power to crush other people. He comes and he lays down his life. He allows evil to put him on the cross. He doesn't get off the cross and start wiping people out. It's not bringing that type of peace. See, evil put him on the cross, and he defeats evil through love. Evil didn't see it coming. He gives his life to defeat evil. He gives his life to bring us peace to show us how do we live in this world. Is it to oppress others? Is it to knock them down? Or is it to love? And what does Jesus say on the cross? Does he condemn and judge? No, he says, forgive them, forgive them. He provides a mean for peace for us, and he shows us what it's like to be a peacemaker. He tells his disciples this in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. You know, he says this because they probably were troubled and afraid. And if you find yourself in that place... Know that Jesus speaks these words to you as well. Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. See, Jesus doesn't come into our lives and say, be peaceful or else, right? I, um, I've had various procedures, medical procedures done at Queen Mary and um, painful ones. And the nurses always say that. They say, just relax. Just relax. I don't know about you, but somebody saying just relax to me in the midst of a painful procedure never helps me relax, right? And it's the same with peace. You don't command somebody to be peaceful. You have to invite them into a different way of living, a different perspective, to see things in a new way, to, to gather resources, to begin that transformation internally. You can't command peace. You invite somebody into this way of living, to laying down their life. Jesus says a seed must fall and die before it will spring forth new life. And we get to die to self, die to pride, die die to our own way of doing it all the time. That's the transformation God wants to do in and through us. Jesus came to bring peace, to end 
hostility, to bring reconciliation, to show us how to treat people, to show us how to live. Shane Claiborne, a Christian activist in the U.S., says it this way, peacemaking doesn't mean passivity. Peacemaking doesn't mean you just step back and let things happen and don't engage in the struggle, right? It's the act of interrupting injustice without mirroring injustice, the act of disarming evil without destroying the evildoer, the act of finding a third way that it is neither fight nor flight, but the careful, arduous pursuit of justice. Sometimes we think, I have to fight evil with evil. I have to do things dirty, right? I have to do things that maybe I, I, I wouldn't do because the ends justify the means. The ends never justify the means. Jesus, if anybody could have had that ends justify the means, he could have done that. And what does he do? He allows himself to give his life for us. He doesn't get off the cross to accomplish his will. He accomplishes his will through the cross, and he invites the same for us. We were praying this verse earlier, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. This is both an individual call and a communal call. We're meant to do this together, to be peacemakers together, to help each other through this. Jesus desires to rule in our hearts, to bring this type of peace, that shalom, this deep sense of well-being that he has. So we're going to have a time of, of reflection, um, a time of prayer as the worship team leads us um, these are the four areas that I invite you to, to pray into. And maybe there's just one of those areas you want to focus on today. Um, I'm going to lead us through a brief prayer for each of those. The worship team will continue to play. And I invite you just to reflect um, where you're at, to, to say these prayers in your heart if you would like to let the music minister to you, or to come forward to be prayed for. We'll have our prayer ministers up here um, during this time, and they would love to pray with you and for you. So as the team begins to play, let me um, lead us through these prayers. First, um, peace with God. Church, let us pray. For those that are desiring peace with God, just, just reflect on this prayer in your heart. Lord, I desire to trust you as my Prince of Peace. I confess my need for you and receive your forgiveness for everything I've done wrong, how I've hurt others or how I've hurt myself. I place my hope in you this morning as Lord and Savior. Bring me your peace, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Prayer for peace for yourself. Jesus, some of us, despite our best efforts, do not have peace in our hearts. Lord, we pray for an assurance of your presence. Remind us, Lord, of the ways you have been with us, saved us, healed us, and restored us. Lord, we need your presence. For some, it might feel like we're in a boat, tossed around by waves, and you're asleep and not paying attention. 
Lord, draw near to us in our distress. Listen to our cries. Bring your assurance, your presence, and your comfort, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Lord, for some of us, we need peace with our neighbor, classmate, coworker, friend, spouse, or partner. Lord, we confess our pride, our stubbornness, the plank in our own eye, God, our desire for control. God, we confess our temptation to hurt others instead of heal. We ask for your forgiveness. We pray for a way forward. We pray for a pathway to reconcile. Jesus, we thank you for your grace and healing, and we receive your peace in our hearts. Amen. Lord, as a church, may we be your peacemakers. May we be a non-anxious presence in this city, in our homes, our schools, our workplaces. Lord, guard our hearts. Be our anchor in the midst of a strong river that pulls us into anxiety, fear, and worry. Lord, you are trustworthy. You have given us a promise. You have shown up and you will show up again. We put our hope and our peace in you. In your name, amen.